Hello and welcome and thank you for joining. I'm your host, Seth Haskin. I started this podcast to dive deeper into the ways we know one another and God. The goal of this podcast is to ask the question of how God loves. I invite people from many walks of life to join me on this adventure. As we dive deeper into personifying God, we have to bring him into our three-dimensional plane, but also understand that he lives in another state of being, the fourth dimension. I'd like to lo- I would love to welcome and thank our guest today. He is a sophomore political science major and enjoys spending time with the Bethel Choir, singing, of course. Uh, with a passion to make everything he does great, he puts forth much effort. Welcome our guest today, Sam Schulte. Thank you, Seth. Yes, thank you for joining. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am 22 years old. I'm a little bit older than most sophomores. I graduated high school in 2017. I immediately went to Normandale Community College to continue my theater training and in hopes to becoming an opera singer. And I had a really good year at Normandale. And then I realized that I just needed a break from school. So I took a gap year. Then I went back. Then COVID hit. And then here we are. I learned a lot of lessons in terms of relationships and having conversations with people that thought very differently than I did during my time at Normandale due to the heightened politicization of the politics that though that demographic tends to tends to lean to. And I had, it, it was a really good experience. While I had a lot of disagreements, I, it was really enjoyable to have meaningful conversations when a lot of people told me that I wouldn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, they told me to not shut up, but they told me to, you know, be quiet, keep your head down. Um, mm-hmm. It's not worth it to engage. But I think for the most part, regardless of who you are and your background, I think there is a general search for truth within each and every one of us. And I don't think that hunger ever really goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you're respectful, I think those conversations are there to be had with, with anyone. Mm-hmm. All right. So why did you choose political science as your major? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've always enjoyed, I've always enjoyed conflict. Um, that's not to say I, I've mm-hmm. always enjoyed arguing. I think it's exhausting. But um, that, that search for deeper meaning has always been somewhat important to me. And I've always, I've always spent time thinking um, about the whole process and plan for, for, for our lives. And because of that, I really enjoyed theater and telling stories and hoping that those stories would make an impact on other people. Um, when I realized that the kinds of stories that I was telling weren't the ones that I wanted to be telling, that's when I realized that political science was something that I also really enjoyed and it was a way for me to put forth my ideas mm-hmm. um, in in conversation. And we'll see where it leads, but so far I've really enjoyed the major. Um, obviously I've only spent one semester doing it, but I've really enjoyed the conversations that have come out of the, the classes, so yeah. What has been difficult for you um, in poli-sci specifically? Is there any like difficulties because politics are politics and you're studying socialization and policies and everything else? Sure. Yeah, obviously there's the uh, the details that, you know, you have to spend time in learning. 
But much like theater, political science is all-encompassing. So one thing that people don't really quite understand about being a theater major is that all of life applies to that major. Mm -hmm. um, there's an unlimited amount of stories to tell. And so in order to tell those stories, you have to gain background um, during the process of rehearsing. And with political science, it's very much the same way. Everything applies. So as long as you have the mentality of being a student for life, I think that uh, anyone can do either, either major for sure. And the transition has not been that difficult because of the parallels between the two. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, <clears throat> uh, politi uh, politics are very involved in everyday life because policies affect the way we act out certain things. And theater is a way to either question or interpret those policies in a different way. And I think theater is just taking an aspect of life and putting it on the stage and pointing out things that people have noticed about life. So, and I think both do it in their own way. And I think it's very interesting. So the transition probably wasn't too hard from theater to poli-sci. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't. Um, those, those guys are pretty uh, in touch with the current political climate as well. So because of that, the transition wasn't that difficult either. Um, I think, I think for some people, they, the, the debate and the conversation and the, I don't know, the, not to toot my own horn, but like the courage it takes to put forth um, your ideas and stand for something. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is put up on a pedestal a lot. I really don't think that that's as difficult as people think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and especially once you've had conversations with people who disagree with you vehemently at times, um, it really doesn't get that much worse um there is you know what's what's the worst that can happen to you you know someone someone walks away or they they're not willing to understand and while that's unfortunate that's that's about as bad as it gets mm -hmm. unless you're a politician <laughs> that is true that is true um, but um i love how you mentioned that um people put like oh putting you have these ideas and like it's put on a pedestal, but it's actually harder to share ideas. And one of the topics we've talked about, touched on, not really talked about on an episode previously was this idea of vulnerability and how putting your ideas out there is very vulnerable for many reasons, rejection, public embarrassment, stuff like that. And so being able to communicate your ideas in a very coherent way in which you feel strong enough to stand in where you can be vulnerable and, um, not afraid of public embarrassment and still hold your ideals is something that I think the poli-sci majors do a very good job of a teaching, uh, I mean, understanding, and the professors who teach those courses also understand those ideas. For sure. Um, yeah, obviously we're students and we're in the process of still figuring out who we are and what we believe, but everyone has a conscience. And I think if you follow your conscience and you stick up for the truth that you believe, and you're willing to share that with other people, um, not only will those other people respect you for having the courage to share those ideas, um, in the long run, it'll do wonders for your own confidence. And not that success is defined by mm -hmm. putting yourself in uncomfortable decision or uncomfortable situations, but the, the pattern of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations generally 
puts you in places where you are able to succeed, where, how do I put this? The more, the more you sit on the sideline mm -hmm. and let people walk all over you, the, the opportunity to be successful in life passes you by for sure. Mm -hmm. And once you, once you get out of that pattern and you break free from it, um, and once you engage with, with other people, I think that's where you start to see results. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing once, once the ball gets rolling. Because, it, because once, once you realize that it's not about you and you're just a messenger for the truth and you're just a conductor for it, um, it really takes all the pressure off of it, um, off of the experience, off of you, off of the other person even. Um, because as long as you come into conversations humbly with, with your ideas, generally the person on the other side of the table is going to be really good at listening to you. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope so at least. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to be good, Seth. <laughs> uh, I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be fine. Um, so we're going to take what you know from your major, your life, um, and around my age and possibly some of the age of the audience because I've had uh, professors which are a little bit older than me um, they uh, are speaking to a, a, a different experience, different life experience because of the time they were born and so on and so forth. So we're going to take everything that you know from your age um, and start talking about the ways in which we understand relationships because the way we understand relationships could be different than the way my professor and I understand relationships. So um, my first question that I always ask is, what comes to mind when you hear the word relationship and how does that interpretation um help you go through life? Yeah. Um, so when I hear the word relationship, obviously you have, you, I think most people probably think of romantic relationships right mm -hmm. off the bat. And then you think of your friendships and then your, your family, obviously. And there's a sense of community that is drawn from those relationships. Um, and you really have to define who your community is, I think. I think a lot of people have allegiance to people that they have never even met, like such as celebrities. And they, because, because they see something on Instagram or they see something on social media, they think that they, they have some sort of relationship to them, but that person has no idea who they are. So when I think of the word relationship, I, I think of community. And I think that involves, it, it involves your family first and foremost, and then it involves, involves your friends. And then it also involves your coworkers, your fellow students that you go to school with, your professors, like you were talking about. And I think making sure that you are fitting into that community to the best of your ability is a good place to start when it comes to relationships. And that's obviously a very broad Mm -hmm. um, broad take on it, but I really think it's important for a lot of people to understand that they do not have an allegiance to someone they have never met. Um, it's, it's just one, one thing that drives me crazy mm -hmm. is don't, don't die on that hill. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if someone you've never met says something, you know, that's, that, that's great and all, but I think there's meaningful conversations to be had with the people around you rather than okay now i'm rambling it's okay rather than um people you haven't met 
Yeah, exactly. Staying, staying within your circle because that's where you can make the most amount of change. Um, I, th I think a lot of people, young men, young women, especially in today's day and age, considering the way we've been brought up, I think a lot of us have this intuition to make this big change in, in the universe and in our lives. And while it's something that I've had to come to the painful realization of, I think it starts with the relationships around us. You know, I think a lot of us have this big romantic idea of being this one person that persuades thousands. Mm -hmm. um, but I heard someone say in a podcast recently, if you change the world without changing who you are first, the initial wanting to be the change um, can be really drastically harmful because a lot of that time or a lot of the time that that inclination comes comes from some sort of selfishness and if you don't acknowledge that selfishness um, that there's many pitfalls that you're going to come mm -hmm. or that you're going to fall into in the name of being that one person to make change. And you'd probably understand that a lot as a poli-sci major because, especially in America, poli-sci major, um, learning about American politics, the state-federal system, and how um, the federal is overarching, but the state is very small. And even within the state, you even have smaller, um, like your local elections matter very much because if you vote in this judge, that determines if this person goes to jail or if they get a second chance and so on and so forth. Like, those are very important things. And like what you're talking about is uh, the community around you is very important compared to these huge policies that people usually tend to focus on because they want uh, one thing to end all things or one thing to solve all things. And I think um, it's important to understand in relationships that doesn't happen. It's very much a compromise between that relationship because you're two individuals and you have very different thought processes, different ways of thinking and just like thinking about all the statistics of what makes you you today is insane so understanding that one big policy in your relationship um quote unquote is not going to solve everything and i we kind of talked about this idea in episode three with paul eddie a contract versus a covenant and um we could get into that um uh, later but this idea of understanding that just because this is this doesn't mean that it's going to solve everything. So um, my next question is then what comes to mind when you think of a relationship with God? Because a lot of people sometimes see as God is the uh, end-all, be-all type policymaker. Yeah. So as someone admittedly who has not consistently maintained a pattern of going to church mm -hmm. ever since I was probably 14. It's no been, shame. it's been very on and off and it's been really great to be back here at Bethel because that's one part of my life that has really surprised me where because it hasn't been forced upon me here at Bethel, I find myself present at chapel and mm -hmm. Vespers and it's really made an impact on my life. That being said, Growing up in the churches that I went to, obviously I was very young, but one of the biggest things that I remember 
from from that time is the focus on not putting good works above or good works aren't going to get you into heaven. Mm -hmm. And they immediately would look at the Catholic church, right? And they would look at, you know, going to confession, um, saying so many Hail Marys. And obviously to anyone who is not Catholic, that seems maybe a little bit insincere at times. But when you turn around and you look at your own congregation that you're going to church with, and you see everyone who's going through horrible, horrible things, you know, just because life happens. Um, and obviously there's some sincere people, but then there's also some people that are going through bad things due to their own decisions that they're going through in the in that moment. And you still see this fake kind of persona in, in church where, where, I mean, I, no one's perfect, mm-hmm. but when you see someone that advocates for a certain type of lifestyle and then they, you see them the next day in church, you know, raising their hands. I mean, I think that's just as hypocritical as, you know, cause I, I, I would hear those same people, um, just an exam, just as an example, um, point out, you know, the flaws within say the Catholic church. And I'm just using that as an example. There's, I don't have any skin in the game in that regard, but that's why I've always focused on, telling other people around me that, oh, just focus on having a relationship with God. And the interesting thing about this podcast is that while I have always immediately shifted to that answer when people talk to me about my own spiritual life, you know, how I, I cut out the church aspect Mm -hmm. and the, like the showing off of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. I always say, well, the important thing is to have a relationship with God. Um, I must say that I've never really defined what that means um, for me. And like I said, as someone who has not been as present in, in church in the past, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for me to define. But one thing that I've started to realize here at Bethel is that regardless of where you are, um, prayer can literally happen anywhere. It can be an ongoing conversation that you start and pick up where you left off at all times of the day. And that's something that really is comforting to a degree to be able to have someone to talk to whenever, whenever you need, you know, when you ever, whenever you need uh, support. And so having that ongoing conversation throughout the day, I think is one of the aspects that I focus on. Um, or one of the ways that I would define have a, having a relationship with God. And there's something else that I was going to say, but I could put completely blank on it. So, um, do you, yeah. What, like, what's your response to that? Cause I'm here just to learn just as much as you. Cause yeah, I think it's interesting because <clears throat> a lot of times the, um, uh, Protestant church, uh, focuses on relationship with God a lot more than community with the church. And um, I think there's kind of this shift now in the Protestant church to recognize how important community is. And the readings of scripture is all about community as well, even the uh, New Testament and the red letter parts of the Testament. Um, Those are all important aspects. And I think defining a relationship with God is important and how you view your relationship with God helps us interpret the way we view relationships with maybe other people and the way we go about our life in our faith. 
Um, so when you bring up the church aspect, I think there has been so many times where people have been burned by the church, and so they don't see the community aspect of a relationship with God, and so they're focused very individualistically on their relationship with God, which can also be um, harmful as well because they're not understanding that one of one of the greatest things that God has done is made us a community. When he created Adam, he said he can't be alone, so he created Eve. Um, so I think it's interesting how you bring up um, the aspect of sometimes we go about our life saying, oh, it's all about the relationship of God, but sometimes we never understand what that means. So I think it's a very good point, and there is no problem not understanding what that means. I think um, listening to this podcast can help people hopefully understand what their relationship with God is, and that's why I asked this question. And sometimes we may never fully understand our relationship with God, um, but he definitely understands our relationship. He definitely understands the relationship with us. So I think that's important to remember. Yeah, for sure. Um, One thing that to jump off of that is it was interesting because I had a really meaningful conversation with someone that I did not intend to have mm-hmm. recently. Um, we started a conversation about one thing, and it turned into a much deeper, much more meaningful conversation. And he was asking me about what my what more what my story was. Because um, mm-hmm. th- this person I I met for the first time, and we we had to sit down about something and. And he immediately jumped to, well, what's your relationship with God like right now? And it was, it, it caught me off guard. But acknowledging where you're at within that aspect of your life is is really underrated. Because I think regardless of how long you feel like you've had your relationship with God, acknowledging where you're at in that relationship is something that you have to do daily. And that's the context with which you approach that thought is going to be different every single time. And because we're flawed and we're going to sin every day, you know, it's not like you reach a certain level and the, the relationship becomes less meaningful. You still have to approach that relationship with just as much sincerity as you did on day one. And we, we talked about that for a little bit. And it was interesting to hear his thoughts because I am definitely not the most well-versed person when it comes to these sort of conversations, even mm-hmm. though like I never, I never denied the existence of God mm-hmm. when I um, stopped going to church. But like you were talking about, um, you know, people being burned by the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that I was personally burned by the church mm-hmm. um, in a way I was, but I saw so many people around me that had been burned by the church because um, mm-hmm. they were older and mm-hmm. I was younger and I, I didn't always know what was going on, but I saw the pain that was caused by some of the experiences and, you know, watching, watching friends go through that is, is really difficult because the church is the one place where you're supposed to be safe and be able to come and lay everything at the feet of Jesus in mm-hmm. terms of your sin. And in watching the church 
that I was going to and their inability to humbly approach mm -hmm. the people that were going through things, it really, it really made me realize that God is more accessible than inside the doors of a church. Mm -hmm. And kind of like I talked about just having an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day, um, I think that's really important. It's been important in my life. And um, I think anyone who is searching for a relationship to, to really just like call out, like it really is that simple. Like, I mean, I can't tell you, tell you how many times I was told that growing up, just, you know, call out like, oh, you're having stress. Just call out. Just, just, just admit it to the person who already knows. Right. And once you do that, it, it really does change things. Mm -hmm. I think, um, understanding the church as a group of people is also important because it's not maybe specific individuals in the church that have burned people. Maybe it is, but the church can be seen as like a chain and it's only as strong as its weakest link, which is sad, but it's also very true. And you can use that metaphor anywhere else. But, um, you know, the, it says it in the Bible in a different ver a way. It doesn't use a chain. It uses the body <clears throat> and every part, part of the body is very important. Um, and so we, as uh, Christ followers, we have to understand that, yeah, we're very, we think about our individual relationship with God as being important, but we also have to understand that if we have a very good individual relationship with God, then we have to, we also have a very good relationship with our community because God has a good relationship with everyone around us then, right? And so as a church, we have to understand that um, our uh people or building or our um, area that we practice um, faith in can be a haven for people, and sometimes it's not. And so when I say church, it's very broad. I'm usually talking about the people, not a building or denomination. I'm talking about Christ followers. And so when I say people are burned by the church, I don't mean individuals in that church. I mean the church as a whole sometimes can burn people. And I think one of the problems is that we as Christ followers aren't keeping each other accountable. If we say that we believe in God and we are Christ followers, then we are put into a category of a community in which we hold each other accountable. Um, we are inviting each other into our lives based on the precedence of our faith. And we have to keep each other accountable. And that could be denomination to denomination, person to person within the same doors or anything. So I think it's really important, you know, um, uh, which leads me to my next question when we're talking about um, individual relationships with each other, maybe in the church, is um, can you describe a couple of relationships that you have um, and what do they look like? Do you categorize them? Like do you have church friends? Do you have school friends? Or what do you, if you do that, helps you? Sure. Um, well, okay, so kind of how I defined like community at the towards the beginning, mm -hmm. um, obviously that, like I said, it encompasses family, your friends, your coworkers, um, and obviously your your family. You you don't choose who your family is, and that can be both a blessing and a curse. But recognizing that you do owe it to them to be there for them, um, barring some some insane circumstance, but 
recognizing that you do have responsibility to your family. And I think that's probably the first way that I would categorize family relationships is the responsibility that you have to those. Now, when you go to friendships, I think there's still a lot of obligation there, but you can, you can pick and choose who your friends are and you can pick and choose to have certain people around you to make yourself a better person. If you see, if you have a friendship and that person's really bringing you down, um, by no means I do, I think you should cut that person off. Like just, just like that. Um, I think that person, that's where you need to step in and be the person for them that they have possibly been for you in the past. And so a lot of relationships are centered, whether romantic or not, are centered around love, right? And I think the, the most, the most often, or the, the, the most, the most present form of love that's always or the most present form of love in relationships is the obligation to be honest with other people. I think that if people are lying to you to, you know, as a, as a friend to, you know, kind of just work around the hard hardships in your relationship, you know, that that's not very meaningful. So I think the most important obligation that we have as friends is to be honest with one another. And you know, outside of, you know, having coworkers that you may or may not know, um, especially friendships, I think saying, saying the quiet part out loud sometimes when it's difficult to do so um, is probably a good place to start in terms of defining obligation um, during friendships that are relationships. Um, because, because, family relationships that's kind of its own thing and you like if you grew up if you grow up with your family you know you're going to learn the tendencies and you're going to know what conversations you can and can't have in terms of being successful mm -hmm. with with your family members but when it comes to when it comes to friendships there's you can you can test where the line is a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, you can, you can attempt to make the box bigger. Like mm -hmm. if the conversation is within four walls, you can, you can push against those walls to see how far you can get. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with, with family, I think just because you grow up with someone, you usually have a pretty good sense and and those conversations are difficult, especially in f within within family. Um, if you know all your life that someone has a certain belief, right? Those conversations are going to be the most difficult, even more difficult than walking up to a complete stranger and having a conversation or a debate with them, mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, you have an obligation to care for that person after. So you can't just say the blunt truth and expect them to. You know, just just take it like that because they like know at family you. Thanksgivings, right? <laughs> well, okay, yes. I, I thankfully I haven't had that like stereotypical yeah. experience yeah, yep, yep. where just luckily you know, I haven't either. Yeah, no turkey has uh, hit the wall yet, but um, no, I, I don't think that will ever happen. But 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely the most difficult. And, but that's where you can make the most change. Um, how we were talking about um, that, that instinct to want to make a big change in the world, mm-hmm. it really does make a difference within your family because those are the people that love and support you. And if you're able to come alongside them and help point them in a direction that's healthier for them, those people, because they're your family, they're going to advocate on behalf of you as well. And they're going to talk you up to, to their friends, you know, and mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be proud of you. And um, just having the courage to speak out, whether it be in that familial re- relationship mm-hmm. or with your, or with your friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's, uh, Important to understand these relationships to understand your relationship with God. Um, I would definitely say that they're connected. It, that's a really good question because obviously your relationship with God is so different from mm-hmm. your relationship with people that you see physically. Um, so that's that's something that I've never really thought of before. Um, I think that when you have a relationship with God, you're, and you're, you're ultimately wrestling with yourself, um, and you're confronting yourself when you, when you go to God through, you know, in, in hardships or like if you have a decision to make, ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to eventually look inward at yourself Mm -hmm. and, realize like if you're if you're trying to make a difficult decision it god is going to put it back on you the responsibility is still with you and you're going to have to look at your own life see what you've done in the past and maybe that provides some um hope for the future but with relationships with other people you're not looking at while you are looking at yourself you're you're debating an idea that is foreign to your own and with God, you're, I mean, obviously you can start in the scriptures, mm-hmm. but to, to get a different perspective than your own. But that, that script from the scriptures is, isn't going to change. Like you, you can experience new revelations every day. Like you can read a new Bible verse mm-hmm. and see it completely differently. But it's not like that That script is going to change. So me- meanwhile, in your physical relationships, physical being with physical earthly people, mm-hmm. um, they're going to change the way that they approach you. And they're going to change the way that they communicate with you. And their ideas are going to change as, as your own are. Um, so, so I would th- say that that's the fundamental difference that I see is the the consistency with which you're responded to. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that while the script cha- stays the same, um, God could use people in your life to convey his message to you as well, and thus he's changing his quote-unquote approach, as you said, 
um, compared to the script, mm. whereas you said physically people, earthly people, or human human people um, change the way they approach you. Don't you think God could change the way he approaches you as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that that happens all the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and for sure he does, he does use people to, to influence you. And it's difficult to recognize sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good thought. We'll mm-hmm. have to think about that more because while it's, while it's so obvious, right, that God is going to use certain pieces in your life to, to affect you. Sometimes it's difficult to acknowledge that the hardships in your life and the people in your life that just drive you nuts sometimes, like they're there for a reason. Um, I mean, I, I do and I don't like stereotypical, like motivational, like life, you know, advice and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I really do like those quotes where it says, you know, you asked God for courage and he gave you an opportunity mm-hmm. to be courageous. be courageous. You asked God for patience, gave you the opportunity to be patient. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, things are stereotypical for a reason. It's because they Happen more have meaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they are very real and recognizing when those moments happen in life. I think is really, really important. And as you're saying, God changes up the tactics mm-hmm. and the intensity is always there from him, but he, he does change up the tactics. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so we've talked about kinds of relationships and how God, um, influences the way we think about these relationships. Um, especially, um, do you, view your relationship with God through the lens that you view your relationship with others? Um, do you do you go to God sometimes and use the same language or same actions or same thought processes that you would do with a very, very close friend or a fatherly figure or some other way that you think about God? <clears throat> you have a different lens. Sure. Um, I would definitely say that the lens is different. Um, now how different, I guess I will have to spend more time thinking about, Mm -hmm. but I definitely see in terms of accessibility. Now that's, that's not to say that I don't have people in my life where I feel like I can rely on them. Mm -hmm. That's, that's absolutely the case. But in terms of accessibility, as, as much as the option is there, you know, like if you're having a bad day to to call a family member, to call a friend, you know, the first thing that usually runs through my mind is, you know, is that their problem, you know, and my, then I realized, well, the first person that I should probably try to talk to is, is God. Right. So, and then from there you might ponder and realize that you should reach out to a family member or a friend, but in terms of immediate, like the immediate search for help or guidance, I would definitely say, well, after trying to fix it myself <laughs> and, and failing, then I would definitely say that um, reaching out to, to God is probably the first, is probably, or 
unfortunately the second step right but mm-hmm. um but yeah that i definitely see there is a difference between the way i see re- my relationship with god and my relationship with family and friends um i guess not to turn the question exactly mm-hmm. right back on you but i'd love to hear your take as well because there's there's no denying that they're completely different but the one seems just much more accessible than the other mm-hmm. um so my lens of god is definitely you know put in frames um in speaking in the metaphor of glasses that we wear um my lens of god is definitely has frames around it that are humanly um, earthly relationships, socioeconomic class, um, politics, family, um, race, um, country, you know, all these things that um, attribute to who you are um, are, as I see, frames to the way you look through your lens in the world. And my lens to God or my pair of glasses for God I think I use a lot of times relationships. And so the way I see God is sometimes um, through the way I see relationships. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because I wanted to know what, how other people view God. And if they use the same, if they use the same thought process or me, and then what can I learn from their different thought process, you know? Um, But the way I see God sometimes is a fatherly figure. You know, some days I'll see him as like, you know, um, I was blessed to have a great father um, who was there even when, um, you know, he had to work a lot and do other things, but he was very present. He went to events that I was in and all my brothers were in. We always had family discussions, had family dinners growing up. So we had a very good, um, um, consistent relationship. Um, so sometimes I use that relationship as a lens um, to look at God, but then there are some days where I look at him as like, I could see him as a motherly figure, you know, and, or a friendship or, you know, a mentor or, you know, a judge. There are some days I'm, I always fall into it, you know, (coughs) because there are different ways to view God, I think. And it just depends on what you're going through and your question about accessibility. Yeah. He's very accessible. Um, Sadly, we're human like you said, and sometimes he's not the first person I go to. Um, a lot of times I might just deal with it myself. Sometimes I won't even contact people even if I can't figure it out. Um, um, the Another person that I may go to is like my parents or my brother or just some random conversation with a stranger or I'll read a book by like um, Mark Twain or... Um, Uh, all this Huxley or some scientific reading, you know, there are different ways I think that I go about approaching God and his accessibility. And I think sometimes that I get too caught up in the tangible um, that I can lose sight of that. But I think for me, I think it's more of a comforting thing for me to know that God can work in those ways as well to point back to him. Cause there are some times when I'm talking to my parents and then I'm like, Oh, you know, God, you know, is there because they may bring something up or I'm reading something and they're like, I was never able to understand this, but there's just something that just helped me through. And it's just like, that could be God, you know? And so, 
It's a long answer to your question slash my question originally, but right. Well, it's it's interesting how we both had the same take of you know let let's you know figure it out myself, mm-hmm. right? And while that's a very human human thing, I think that's a very male thing as well. You know, don't don't go get help. Just you know figure it out by yourself first. Yeah, you know? the social uh, the socialization of that. Right, and I don't think that that's. I mean, okay, obviously in the context that we're having this conversation and pertaining to the name of the podcast, you know, that's, that's not ideal. Like, yes, you should try to have a relationship with God and go, go to him first. And as you're, as you're going through life, you know, you should acknowledge the presence of God wherever you are, you know, whether that be a really tough decision that you're making or something exciting that's happening in your, in your life. But that initial urge to figure it out yourself. And while I'm, I don't think that's specific to males, obviously, um, I do think it's interesting how we sometimes cripple ourselves, right, in not going and asking for help, mm-hmm. where other people have, I don't even know if it's a sense of being humble or not. Mm-hmm. It's just a better strategy to go get help. And it's really interesting that guys specifically, because we have it ingrained to figure it out ourselves. Um, it is interesting how that does cripple us more than we think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, socialization of certain ways of problem solving, um, especially in school, um, you know, figuring it out yourself before you ask a question. You know, try to figure it out yourself. I think there's importance in that, but I also think, uh, there's importance in understanding that we can't always figure everything out. And that's why we have specialties. You know, you're a poli-sci major. I'm a neuroscience major. You know, we have specialties because there are s- we just can't know everything. And I think that explains the power of community when they come together and work together um, in a way in which we can bring all these different ideas, um, schools of thought together to help understand God. And that's one of the reasons why I invite so many people onto this podcast because I think one brain is great. The immensity and the power that thought is in one brain is so complicated, so powerful. So many things that can happen with one brain. But when you have 7.9 billion on the planet, um, just think about the raw thinking power um, that you can get done if we were to have a situation where we need every possible um, thought process. You know, there's, that's the biggest supercomputer in the world, you know, is humankind. Um, and I think it's so important to realize that even though we have such an immense population with 7.9 billion brains, God is still above that. Yeah, And his problem-solving skills are even better, you know, um, and he knows way, way, way more, and he knows all of it. Right. So I think it's very important for us to understand that as well. Sure. Um, so we've been talking about relationships and how they affect our view of God. Um, but I, I have a question for you that I've kind of been saying the whole time but haven't explicitly said, which is... 
do you personify God when you think about him? Do you think of him as a person is my question. I would say yes. Um, I think it's very hard not to mm-hmm. associate some sort of physical resemblance with with God. Um, now to say that 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 it automatically triggers an image of, you know, a guy in a white beard and sitting on a throne, sitting in on a clouds. throne. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's that, mm-hmm. but you definitely have an immediate sense that he is human. You know, the the Bible does say that he, that God created man in his own image. Right. And obviously that's a much deeper debate that I am. The Imago Dei. <laughs> that's a debate that I'm not, or a conversation that I'm not qualified for. But if you accept that initial premise of God creating man in his own image, um, I think that that's definitely where I probably springboard off into immediately thinking of God as obviously unflawed, you know, as opposed to other humans. But yes, you know, human resemblance. And it's interesting to think about the other side of that. If I if I didn't think of God as you know, like like a physical form, you know, how would how would my perception change? Mm-hmm. And I guess I don't really know the answer to that. Yeah, it's just a question that I've been indirectly asking the whole time. Sure, you know, with how you view God and whatnot, and I think it is so hard for us not to use um, what we see tangibly to describe God. And we've been doing it this entire episode and all the previous episodes to understand who God is, God's character. Um, Because, like you said, if he made us in his image, then the way we think, the way we create, the way we go about life should be in some way reflecting um, God's image as well. Um, Not saying that he, you know, goes to a computer and does schoolwork. Um, But, you know... He does certain things that we can understand, quote unquote, because we never fully understand, but we can we can try to understand these what we perceive as the true character of God, you know, like um, God is love. And then we base a lot of theology on that, and we base a lot of theology on God is omnipotent, God is, you know, all holy. And so our thought process is about, these truths that we think in God's character affects the way we think about, you know, theology. And theology is a guiding factor for the way we talk about God's character, you know. And so I think it's very hard not to think about God in what we can understand, which is um, human, human relationships. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Um my next question is, do you think it's appropriate to personify God in that way? Do you think that we are putting him in a box by personifying him in human interaction relationships? Or is that actually not a bad thing? Well, 
I cannot even begin to tell you how much I am not a theologian. And that is fine. I, I am way out of my area, I wouldn't say expertise, but I'm way beyond what I am knowledgeable of here. Mm-hmm. But looking at the Bible and the fact that he sent his son mm-hmm. in physical form to us, I, my instinct would tell me that that's no mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a high likelihood that prior to Jesus coming down in physical form to the earth, there was probably a disconnect between God and the people that were on earth. Um, can I can I prove that? No. But my whole point is once we saw Jesus in, in physical form, I think that created a commonality mm-hmm. that serves as a link in our relationship with God. And it may have made it easier to approach a relationship with God after seeing Jesus in physical form. Yeah. That's the best way I can frame it. Yeah. That makes sense to me. You know, I think I personally, I don't think it's terribly bad to personify God because that's one of the ways that helps me understand his relationship with me and how I need to be present in that relationship. Like I would be present in any other relationship if it was important to me. Um, so coming to, uh, the end of our time here. So I have one more question for you, maybe two, um, is if there is something that you have learned that has helped you build your relationship with God, view your relationship with God in any way, um, uh, can you share that with us and what's a discipline that we can help form from that? Yeah, um, it's a good question. One thing, after coming back to Bethel Mm -hmm. and becoming more involved with student life, which tends to have a biblical component to it, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's certainly not foreign in my everyday experience. Um, One of the most difficult things for me to do is claim God. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is after spending a significant portion of my life, not putting that, putting a relationship with God as a priority. Like once again, like I said, never, never denied the existence of God, never Mm -hmm. denied the importance of God. But in practice, I certainly didn't put that into, into motion. I would say that claiming God has been the most difficult for me to do. And that means engaging, say, during Vespers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I look around and I look at everyone who's, who's worshiping and they seem very, very engaged. They seem very, very sincere. And it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to, to look at that. And then you look at yourself who like everyone else has been consistently going to church, not everyone, because obviously, but when you look at yourself and you think about everything that you should have been doing, you know, or 
ways that you could have been better in your life in the spiritual realm. Um, sometimes it's difficult to claim God immediately when you, when you come back to that. And coming on this podcast actually is one example of something that I didn't know if I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, just because this is something that I don't feel like I can really talk about because in terms of, in terms of my, my own experience, I just feel so uneducated about this because unfortunately for a long time, it wasn't something that was, that I was focused on. So, so claiming God and having conversations with God has been really difficult, but realizing that you can't go wrong as long as you're, I mean, it's, it's dangerous to say that sincerity is all that matters because mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's true at all. But if you're trying to pursue a relationship with God and you're sincere about remaining humble and you're sincere about finding the big T truth, um, I think you're in a good spot. And giving yourself the opportunity to put yourself in uncomfortable conversations like these is a really healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly for me, I would rather have a conversation with like this, this conversation is actually more difficult for me to have with you, even mm-hmm. though we're, we're on the same page. I think with a lot of what we're talking about, like I, I can't think of a single disagreement that we've had so far, but this somehow is more challenging and confrontational to myself mm-hmm. than having a conversation about a political or cultural or societal circumstance. Um, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of conversations in the physical world that are that are difficult, but if you if you look inward and you listen to your conscience, I think a lot of the times you can find yourself on the right side of the debate. But when it comes to God and how little we know about God, even though we've been given the scriptures, right? Even though we have free access to him at all times, it's really difficult to be able to frame your experience with him Mm -hmm. because everyone's experience is different and everybody's life has been different and the circumstances they've grown up in are different. So it's, so it's actually more difficult and challenging. I would say this, this conversation. So are you saying that um, one thing that has helped you is, conversation or yeah conversation and giving yourself the freedom to have those conversations Mm -hmm. um you know kind of just jumping in off the deep end and and having those conversations because yeah like i said i i coming into this i definitely didn't did not feel adequately prepared um even though i tried to do some prep but you know do you think david felt adequately prepared if i could say that word uh, to be a king. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not that everyone no. feels one hundred percent adequately prepared, yeah. but 
when you're when you're talking about something that is not physical. Yeah, it's very hard. It's it's difficult and it's much more challenging than no, not 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 necessarily more challenging than being a king, but at the very least you can look at a, a written and potentially oral history, you know, if if you're going to become a king. Mm-hmm. And whereas looking back at your own experiences with God, that's I, it's, it's more challenging to question your own morals and your own spiritual journey, I think, than it is to learn from another person's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something we can take away from your life experience is just dive into those conversations, everybody. Get into them, right? Yeah. That and uh, doing the work is the shortcut. I pulled that one out of nowhere, but it's it remains true. Yep. So, well, thank you for joining us um, today on this episode and this journey that we call four-dimensional love to understand God and relationships. True, not just um, our relationship with God, but how that interprets to our relationship with others. So thank you again. Um, Sam Schulte for joining me. Thank you, Seth.